Welcome to another episode of Connected with the Toms. I'm Julie, your, your trauma-informed movement coach. I'm Dr. Tom, and I'm here again. He's here again to share some wisdom and some information with all of us to be able to help us live healthier, feel better in our bodies, mind, and souls. Yes, so if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for joining us. We are a podcast all about helping you feel better, live better, think better. It's all about, we talk a lot about prevention, but today we're actually going to be talking about cold and flu season and what to do if you're sick and how to support your body when you're sick. Flu season is soon upon us. And I actually had a client last week message me, said, help, help. What do I do? I can't breathe. I can't sleep. I am fully congested. And what should I do? What can I do? And today we're going to talk about all the amazing things that you can do. And so some of you might listen and you're going to be like, oh my God, this stuff is like witchcraft or there's a lot of myths that we might share. Hopefully you'll get something out of this podcast that you'll be able to, to to use when it's not if you get sick because we know dad how many times should we get sick a year well babies should get sick four times and adults once maybe twice right so you're gonna get sick that's it's actually a good thing to get sick but if you're getting sick more than uh, one or two times a year then definitely listen up all right so dad do you want to get us started and tell us what do we do if we get when we get sick not if we get sick when we get sick what should we do or should we talk back up a little bit and what can we do before and to get us ready for flu season? Where do you want to start? I think we have to start with prevention because, you know, the reality is, is that by doing prevention and you're doing the things because some of the things you're doing for prevention ultimately will be you'll just, you know, you'll step them up perhaps if you do get sick, but there'll be some additional things that you'll do. So the goal is what we're going to talk about for all intents and purposes is that Obviously, this is the season where flu shots get advertised by the government in the U.S., the CDC in Canada, Health Canada. You know, that basically they're using that as the what they believe is the best prevention and not once again, not to prevent you from getting ill, but supposedly to prevent you from becoming so ill that you become hospitalized or you know, have a worse, worse outcome. So what we're going to talk about is what I believe is a better alternative to a flu shot because it's, we're not introducing a foreign substance into our body and we're just following, you know, what we have talked about on many podcasts, which are natural laws, and we're, we're going to step them up. But because of the changing weather, because of changing activities, I think we need to be more mindful in the wintertime of the fact that we're, we're not doing what we have just done in the season that we've are going through now that we're into the fall in general, because I would say in the wintertime, people tend to keep their windows closed more often. They have forced air heating. So you have dust and stuff circulating throughout the house. You don't get to get the experience of being outside and uh, breathing fresh air. And we've always known that the most toxicity that anybody is exposed to is not outdoors. It's actually inside their own home. So, and the fact that you're locked inside your home for extended periods of time during the winter is going to make you just that. It's just going to make you a little more susceptible potentially because the air quality is not going to be as ideal. So obviously prevention will be a reiteration of some of our basic treatment guidelines, which we did many podcasts ago. And if you haven't listened to it, time to re-listen to that one, obviously. So let's just say, so we slow down in the, you know, as we become more confined to indoors, we tend to be less active. Yes, there are winter sports. Yes, there are things that we want to get out, but 
in the summertime, we don't think about just going outside and, you know, being on the grass and rolling around and playing with the dog and, you know, with the kids and, you know, that kind of stuff. But here in the wintertime, it's a more of a forced type thing. You go outside because you have to. You go outside because you want to play a winter sport. But you're all dressed up, you're all covered up. Sin isn't being exposed to the elements, specifically sunshine, which, you know, is not going to get much vitamin D anyway. So we want to make sure that, you know, one of the things that we're doing ongoing is we have a, an optimal level of vitamin D. We know that that's the challenge I used to be that, you know, even though I live in Arizona and we don't have some of the same challenges that people in uh, northern climates have uh, during the wintertime, we still have, you know, less sunshine during the day. And, you know, we are wearing windbreakers. We're not necessarily wearing ski jackets, but we're wearing windbreakers because it's, you know, it's 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which for us in Arizona is freezing temperatures, which you up in the northern inclines are thinking he's crazy because that's that's a beautiful day here in the wintertime in general. So vitamin D would be one of the first things we would have to look at preventive. I used to stop taking, recommend patients stop taking vitamin D during the winter, during the summertime rather, because they were outside. But I found that over many years that that was not a good idea because vitamin D levels will drop off even in Arizona and, and Miami and I believe it was Houston, uh, that they did a study of people and they found that even in sunny, sunny climates, uh, people's vitamin D still dropped during the summertime. So in the United States, you know, the preferred level uh, that the number that I use is between 55 and 65. In Canada, that number would be more about 150 to 175 in the units. So if your vitamin D level is much below that, then you definitely need to fortify it to a much higher level as, as one of the best preventives that ultimately, you know, on an ongoing basis in general. Why is the range 50 or 60 for them? And why are we 100? Oh, 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 that's because your units, you use metric units and we still oh. are antiquated. We're still antiquated in the United States and we still use our own system because gotcha. the U.S. thinks they're better than anybody else. Oh, it's just the measurement. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's only the measurement. Okay. Yeah, it's only just okay. the measurement. So yeah, it's yeah. the same. It's just if you convert it yeah. into, yeah. got it. It's like miles yeah. versus kilometers type of thing. That's okay. the only difference, yes. All right. So here's something that I actually learned from a doctor friend of mine um, about vitamin D. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but something that she told me for vitamin D production, the sun actually has to be at 50 degrees in the sky. Have you heard of that before? So yes. that's where the magic happens. So there is an app. So the thing is when I, I've been actually like, when I heard that, I was like, there's, a, there is an app that I can actually put in the show notes that you can, I can link you to that you can put in your city and you can act, it'll actually tell you when the sun hits that 50 degrees in the sky and then hangs out there. And I can tell you the summer, my, when I was checking it for where I was, it, it wouldn't, it wasn't there. You think like, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's nice and warm, but the sun isn't actually high enough. So that's something to consider. And so I just want to put it out there because I, you know, recently had a blood test and <laughs> lo and behold, mine is low and I need to get back on track with, with that. But yeah, vitamin D is super important. So you have heard that as well then? It has to do with the angle of the sun and the right. and the tilt of the earth and that type of thing. So yes, that's 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 another piece of the puzzle per se. I don't get involved in that with patients because it's like it's just another complicating factor. 
So it's like, yeah, I've gone the easy way and said, I want you to take 5,000 units of vitamin D every day, summer or winter, and on rare occasion. And we do have rare occasion where people do have too high a level of vitamin D. And that is a problem as just as much of a problem as too little vitamin D is a concern. So the most reality wise, since I routinely check vitamin D on every single patient is, is that they're not 55 to 65 in the US or 150 to 175, somewhere in that range uh, in Canada. Okay. Basically, preventatively and beyond, if you are sick, you should be taking vitamin D. Yes. So yes. And let's say I am sick. So like my client who got sick, so she should, when she's sick, should she up her dosage? Yes. In fact, we say, you know, you could go, believe it or not, to is for three days, we do like you may end up doing 150,000 units for three days. Okay. So now what's unfortunate is, you know, people don't have access to that. So, you know, in our clinic, we do because we can do actually an injection of vitamin D. We can do 100,000 units of vitamin D. And so it's one of the, you know, for an acute illness, if, if you have access to somebody who will inject it, getting a high dose, or if you can find, you know, 10,000 or 25,000 units, you don't have to take 150 drops you take a whole bottle of it if it was <laughs> yeah. if you're doing a 1000 or a 5000 which is just a 5000 per pill so but anyway just increase your vitamin d bunch beyond so if you're taking 5000 routinely which is pretty common you know maybe take 50000 for 3 days which okay. is a just as another boost if you do get ill beyond over and beyond the the preventive aspect and is there a preference between taking a pill versus liquid you know, the, the idea is the emulsified is, believe it, it's supposed to be perhaps easier to to absorb per se. But, you know, the suggestion is, is that kids, obviously, it's preferred. And if you have children, it's easier because you may only be giving them 1,000 units or 1,000 unit every two or three days, depending on the age of the child. And as they get older, you may give them two drops, et cetera. So when you have children, drops are easier because, you you know, especially if you have more than one kid, you can vary the dose based on the age and the body size. But for adults, you know, I've used drops forever. They then say it's a nuisance. And so uh, we use a pill. The one thing I will say, because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, I typically recommend that you take it in the meal that potentially has the most fat in whatever it is you're eating, which for most people is the evening meal. It doesn't have to be the evening meal, but just in general, from an absorbent perspective, it's it's uh, one of the things you might think about. If, you know, if your vitamin D is low and you're mostly eating a carb-type breakfast and not as much protein and very little fat in it, then you should definitely switch it to an evening meal. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Having it first thing in the morning, like breaking your fast is probably not the best idea, right? Well, you're probably not eating a lot of fat in the morning. So that's, right. you know, and it's a fat soluble vitamin. So it's it's absorbed along along with healthy fats like nuts and seeds and avocado and olive oil and coconut and, you know, that kind of thing, which are healthy yeah. fats to be right. eating. I was just telling my son about coconut and how there was a, I just heard like a whole bunch of farmers in, I don't know, whatever country, and they gave their cows coconuts. And then the the cows ended up getting skinnier <laughs> and had more energy because of the coconut uh, fat. And they're like, I'm trying to fatten up my, my cow. And it's going the opposite way because coconut are effective fat to help you get leaned out and whatnot. Okay, so we got vitamin D. That's an important piece of prevention. And if you, uh, when you're sick, uh, what would be something else that we want to take a look at 
What are other things that we can do? Well, historically, we've always known that vitamin C is is a is one of the nutrients that everybody talks about. And how are we going to get vitamin C? Well, no surprise, it comes in colors of fruits and vegetables. Everybody just thinks about you know oranges and limes and lemons, the citrus family, generally speaking. But berries, different colored fruits and vegetables, are really where you're going to get your vitamin C. So in the winter time, we tend to eat more heavier. I'll say heavier foods unfortunately also leads to weight gain, especially with holidays, you know, in December and January and in this in the United States, literally from the end of November with Thanksgiving to, you know, literally in early in the new year, you know, that we have a six week period where people almost do nothing except go on parties and eat, overeat and drink more alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. All things that are not exactly the most preventive things and will make you more susceptible. Plus the fact that you have holiday parties, it's closed in, you're around more people. So you're probably going to get more potential exposure to people who you know, haven't been doing whatever they need to do for themselves. So that is a particularly susceptible time. So you want to make sure that you do indeed maintain a good variety of colors. But in the wintertime also, it's also it, in order to improve digestion, you know, you're going to be eating less raw foods, first of all, because you're accessibility is probably decreased because you definitely don't have fresh foods local to your area. And our foods are literally coming from the South. They're coming from perhaps South America or the Caribbean, somewhere where they're growing that thing. So they're several days in a truck or on an airplane. And so the nutrient value is a little bit less than you would have from locally grown product. So you know, generally speaking, in the wintertime, it makes sense to perhaps take a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, you will significantly boost that up in the time of, of illness, taking perhaps up to three grams, but even to 10 grams. We do know that too much vitamin C, like too much magnesium, will tend to loosen stool for people. And so if you're if that happens because you're taking five or 10 grams of vitamin C, then you've saturated your receptors and obviously you wouldn't need that much. But if, but if you haven't, then uh, that's not an unreasonable dose. And we're, we're, we're not talking ongoing a winter. We're, we're literally talking, you know, for uh, the few days that you're having a cold or a flu, whatever it is that you're experiencing. So we got vitamin D, we got vitamin C, other, other nutrients. Uh, so zinc, zinc is a big one that I hear. Yep. Zinc is, an, is another one that has been used for the immune system forever. Zinc has, what's interesting, there were studies years ago, zinc is, a, in children, zinc is the most common nutrient deficiency there is. People who, who get tested, and it's not usually a type of thing that, you know, we tend to think about giving children. It's a type of thing that adults will be using. Zinc, in addition to just immune function, because it's an important nutrient for catalyzing multiple reactions in the body, Probably there's a 50 or 100 different enzymes that rely on zinc as, as the catalyst to uh, to ultimately make them work. So from an immune perspective, from just energy perspective, from a health perspective, zinc is is a, is a nutrient. You know, what is the food that is the highest level? It tends to be oysters. It's like oysters. Who's eating oysters on a regular basis? Not too many people in general. So the, the, you know, the reality is, is it's not a bad, if you're taking a, a multi-mineral supplement or a multivitamin multi-mineral supplement, there's probably going to be some zinc in there, which probably will be enough for what you need. But in the, then in the 
time of a cold, you probably will bump that up to something like 50 milligrams for, you know, seven or 10 days, and then just go back to your, your multivitamin or multimineral, uh, where you're going to be getting some zinc on an ongoing basis. So again, it doesn't matter if it's a pill or liquid, it's however you can get it. It's right now, it's going to be however you can get it. Okay. And there are, are there different types of zinc? Like there are different types of magnesium? There always is. Zinc picolinate is probably one of the more common forms, and it's the form that has been around forever. So it's it's pretty standard. And 25 or 30 milligram capsules are pretty routinely found, you know, from your supplier, your health food store would be, and take a couple of those in the time of illness. And, you know, if you if you have other health problems that are going on, you need to, once again, talk to your physician specifically about, you know, would zinc be a benefit for me? Or you can always rely on Dr. Google because he knows everything. People say, oh, I have this, 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 this. And if you have, you know, 10 different things that Dr. Google knows and can tell you, then maybe zinc uh, on a regular, even 10 milligrams, maybe something you'd want to be doing as a preventive uh, all winter. So we got D, C, zinc. Some other ones I'm just going to throw out there that I take is oregano oil and echinacea. So what do you think of those? Echinacea has been studied for years and years and years, and it has been known that it's it uh, absolutely is helpful for immune function. Studies even 25 years ago suggested that the best use of echinacea is not to be using it on a preventive basis, but to be using it in a high dose during the acute illness. So for me, it's not one of the ones that I do recommend on a routine basis for prevention, but it absolutely is one that's that herbally, it's been around for centuries. We have to be very thankful that herbalists, Chinese have been using herbs for thousands of years. The eclectics have been using herbs probably since the, routinely since the Middle Ages. However, we can go back into uh, 5,000 years BC with the Egyptians and with the mummies and that type of thing, they've they obviously had a very strong knowledge of herbs and aromatherapy and that type of thing because with the with the mummies, uh, they have found a whole variety of different types of herbal structures. So, herbs have been around forever, a lot longer than medications have been around, obviously. So they've done the they have definitely stood the test of time. And echinacea is one of the ones from an acute perspective that you may find in an acute formula that you can get from your your health food store or your physician's office, that it'll be one of the blends of uh, herbs that that has been used quite frequently and throughout time. So that's how I use it. It's like I'm, I'm sick and that's when I start dosing it up. And the blend that I have right now kind of, it's mixed with some stuff and it kind of, it's, it's spicy. <laughs> it's like the, kind of like the Buckley's or whatever, but I'm like, oh, that's spicy. And yeah. What are your thoughts on oregano oil? Oregano oil is like, I would almost apply the same discussion that we just said for echinacea to oregano oil. Uh, there's so many types of things, garlic, we can put in that mix. Also, it's like garlic, who's going to be eating garlic? But garlic has been used as a, an anti-infective in fact, the Russians used garlic during the First World War as, as an anti-infective on wounds because they didn't have anything. There was no antibiotics in those days. There was no health care. So they literally would put garlic uh, on an open wound and they've known it's been an anti-infective forever. So garlic, like all these herbs, have been around forever. And so whether it's oregano oil, garlic, uh, echinacea, more vitamin D, more vitamin C, more zinc are all things that you could easily put into your regime 
during an acute illness. So that reminds me of when I get makes when I get sick, I, I make what's called immunity bombs. It's like a it's like a tea. So I'll put garlic, ginger, lemon, and some honey. But this is something that I recently learned, I guess. It's not recent, but whatever. Just something I want to throw out there is that honey cannot be hot. You can't put it in hot water because then it becomes toxic. So you got to be careful when you're making that type of thing that is more like warmer room temperature water. But immunity bombs are fantastic. And I uh, I, I kind of make them with the, the adage of what my grandma used to say is tout à l'oeil, all with the eye. So I, <laughs> sometimes I make them and they're like, oh, this is delicious. And sometimes not so much. But if you go on YouTube, there's so many of them. But yeah, there's different ways. So they're just getting some more. So what you're saying is that, you know, when with flu season upon us we can do things we can take some some supplements and to help us you know prevent getting sick but also when we are sick we can do these things to help support our systems right absolutely and then so let's change gears and what are some other things that let's say i am sick and what are things that i can do for my body that are i don't know to me it's like an old wives tale kind of thing like you've told i've known this my whole life because you made me do it when I was a kid or mom did, whatever. But are there other things that I can do to help when I am sick? There's obviously lots of things. The most important thing that when you're ill is to use the the water, water in different forms, uh, whether it is a steam, whether it is ice or whether it is drinking it. So we need to make sure that we don't get dehydrated. In fact, during cold or flu, the idea is you will hopefully not be hungry and we need to make sure we're hydrating but you don't. So other than soups and broths, which would be the main things, ultimately, hopefully that may be the only thing they would be interested in eating. You don't want to put a lot of a heavy meal in because you're about to be going to be spending a lot of time trying to digest it as opposed to allowing your immune system to uh, to function uh, uh, towards the microbe, uh, whatever it is, be it a virus, a fungus, or a bacteria. So one of the first things to do when you get sick and this is the hardest thing and we and if you recent if you listen to our fasting one it's something that we talked about where it's like truly allow your body to experience what it is that you're doing we said when we started today that you speak it's okay to get sick once or twice you know what people typically are going to reach for is uh you know tylenol which if you hopefully have listened to a previous one it's just absolutely the worst possible thing you could ever take don't ever take Tylenol. And if you want to know why, listen to our previous podcast where we talked in detail about that one. So don't try and stop their, their whatever it is the body is telling you. That's the worst thing you can do because all you're going to do is you're going to delay the, the body's own healing ability. The goal is to support the, whatever the physiology is. So when people get sick, their nose gets stuffy. They, they start coughing. Their lungs are congested. We, it's, I'm not saying that you, you know, we're, we're going to about, we're going to about tell you what to do for that, but you don't want to take something that will stop you from coughing. You don't want to take something that will stop you from having, a, having to blow your nose. You know, why do you, why, why does the body give you all this extra mucus in its own wisdom and saying, well, you have an irritant in here. It's a virus or whatever. How am I going to get rid of it? So I'm going to create all this extra mucus and it's going to run out. Then we stop it. And all we do is we slow down the body's ability to heal itself. So instead of trying to take something over the counter or prescription, and once again, I'm, I'm not going to give you medical advice to say when you should go to your doctor and take something, because in some cases that's what you're going to have to do. But just generally speaking, 
the first things you start reaching for at the first sign of that you're getting coming down with something. Let's say you're coming down with a sore throat. So people I mean to say, oh my God, I got strep throat. I have to go to the doctor. I, I'm going to need to take an antibiotic. Well, before we do that, let's start doing uh, alternating salt water gargle, spit it out every hour with a probiotic gargle on the next hour where we're actually going to swallow it. So we're doing something locally for a sore throat. In addition to that, at nighttime, you're going to be putting warming socks on your feet and you're going to be doing a heating compress uh, on your neck. And the combination of everything we said nutrient-wise and the warming compress on your throat and the warming socks at nighttime well, pretty much, even if it's strep, believe it or not, will probably take care of it if you've been doing all your other regular BTG stuff that we have talked about uh, on numerous occasions. If it's in your nose, if it's in your sinus, then what you're going to want to do is you're going to up your nebulizer that we've also talked about. And instead of doing a nebulizer just once a day, maybe doing your nebulizer three times a day where we have some saline in there. We have some uh, glutathione in there. And depending what you have figured out for yourself or what your healthcare practitioner has suggested you put in your nebulizer, you can be doing that on a regular basis. So we're not trying to stop the reaction. We're trying to support the natural physiology of uh, what's going on uh, from your nose. If you, you know, if you don't have a nebulizer at the time, then the, then the one of the easiest things to do will be alternating hot and cold. So you put a hot pack over your nose and sinus for three minutes. You then put cold for 30 seconds and you do alternating hot and cold for three minutes. And what that's of course doing is bringing more blood uh, into the area. And that's how we heal anything by bringing more blood flow into the area. If it's down in your chest and you're coughing and you're, you know, you have a have a heaviness in your chest, then we're going to do a mustard plaster. Mustard plasters are what I grew up with with my mom and grandma had me do uh, on an ongoing basis basically and you know there's a simple instructions to do that. We just use dry mustard and flour, we mix it up get into a paste we take a paper bag if such things exist still as opposed to plastic bags depending where you are you know you make literally a sandwich out of it you cut it fold it in you put it on your chest and it, it literally heats up and it typically takes uh, 15 to 20 minutes and you should be looking at it because as soon as it started to get a little rosy red it's time to take it off it feels good you can be doing and if you have a chest you can be going to bed with a warming t-shirt, just like the warming socks or a heating compress on your throat. If it's down in your chest, and of course we're doing casserole pack uh, all at the same time, you know, for all these uh, types of things that, uh, that are going on. Just another thing that for cough, uh, you mentioned honey. Manuka honey has historically been the, the preferred one. Manuka honey is specifically coming out of New Zealand. And, and it can be applied topically on cuts. It can be used uh, definitely, you know, specifically for immune function. But an old Chinese formula for coughs and sore throats is using a pear. So you slice a pear in, in quarters, you put it in a little pan, you put it in water, and you literally cook it, you know, in the microwave or cook it in your oven till it's soft uh, with water. And then you drink that water and you eat one quarter of the pear. So you do that four times a day. And that's an old Chinese formula that has proved to be uh, very helpful for coughs and sore throats for, for what's going on. So we've also turned off our cell phone. 
we've gone to bed. We basically are, you know, not going to work. You know, it's like, oh, I have to go to work. I have to do this. It's like, yeah, that's that's why people reach for Advil, you know, or some other mucolytic type thing because their nose is running per se. Like take the opportunity to let your body do what it's needing to do, which is basically it's up, it's upregulating your immune system. And one thing that that also comes up is especially if you get a fever, absolutely do not stop a fever. It's it is the best antimicrobial thing that you can do per se. And if you have a child and you're worried about the fever, you know, let the let the temperature go to whatever you're comfortable, and then stick them in a tepid bath, which is a, just a little bit below body temperature in general. Or you can do an alcohol sponge bath where you just take, you know, a rubbing alcohol on a gauze and you just, you know, rapidly put it over their chest and their arms and their legs. And it will, you know, rapidly disseminate the heat and then, you know, put them back in bed again. And yeah, in a couple hours, you'll have to do it again. But believe me, that is so much better than absolutely from we know. Don't give them Tylenol, especially a kid. Absolutely devastating to give a child Tylenol even though they think, oh, that's going to make them feel better. No, putting them in the bathtub, doing all the things we've already talked about, are, are letting their immune systems mature and development, and they will know what to do the next time they see that virus or bacteria or fungus or whatever it is that's uh, that microbe that's making them ill at the time. So that's a whole combination of mix and match and do the ones that are the most effective for whatever your specific symptoms are. So simple diet, slow down, don't go to work, use water, whether it's steam, whether it's alternating hot and cold, warming socks, mustard plasters, gargling uh, salt water, spit that out, gargling probiotics and water, but that one you gargle and then swallow. So we have so many tools at our disposal that those are really the types of things and of course, then on top of that, we have all our medicinals, you know, obviously we have wounded numbers, we have phytogens, we have general therapies that we have at our disposal that are also supportive for physiology that are not trying to stop the symptom ultimately that, that the patient is experiencing. If you have those in as part of your uh, everyday uh, routine thing that your doctor is helping with, Whew, that's a lot. You nailed it. You hit all of them. <laughs> I'm like, yep, he basically you went through all of it. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because warming socks is becoming more mainstream and people are like, oh, what are warming socks? How do you do it? You get a wet cotton sock or you get a cotton sock and you get it wet and they're going to put it on your foot. Make sure, you know, you rent uh, whatever. What's ring it out. Ring, you it, ring out. it out. Ring it out. Thank you. You're going to ring it out. Put it on your foot. So the thing, too, is that you could use essential oils on the bottom of your foot if you wanted to. Uh, eucalyptus, lavender, that type of thing. Some people use oregano uh, essential oil. You can put that on the bottom of your foot and that'll help draw it out as well. Plus, it feels good. And then you're going to put a warm like a wool or a flannel sock on top. So a lot of people are like, uh, you sleep with it or you can walk around with it. So some people can't sleep with things on their feet. So then you can do it during the day. It's really up to you. So it's really, really simple. And like like my dad said, you do the warm compress around your throat. You could also do the sock around your throat, which I've done before, is that you just get the wet sock, put it around your throat. And then I use like a, a paper, not a paper clip, uh, it's called safety a pin a safety pin i'm like a bobby pin nope oh safety pin. <laughs> safety pin that's it safety pin behind and then you do a wool sock on top of that definitely a fantastic one and then my client that was sick that was telling like she's like i've never heard of a mustard plaster before and i'm like ooh, this is an amazing thing it works it's magical people but like my dad said is be careful 
because it does heat up. It does uh, get warm. So there are lots of YouTube videos on how to make the concoction, but basically you're just going to use some mustard powder and then some flour and you're going to mix that up and add a little bit of water and you're going to create a paste, you know, like start with a tablespoon. You don't need a lot. So it's just, it's the hardest part is probably um, finding a paper bag, like you said, because they're a little bit harder to find. You talked about all the stuff. The only thing I want to add in to it is we didn't really talk about the lymphatic system. So something that you could be doing preventatively and also when you are sick is Dr. Perry Nicholson. He calls it the big six. There are six main drains that we want to open up and massage. So it's just a self-massage if you're going to use your hand or a gua sha tool or a facial roller or whatever. But you want to, you want to start at your collarbones and really uh, gently keep those the termini and keep the the drains uh, around your collarbones open so that things can drain. So we got the, the collarbones, the big six areas, the collarbones, the armpits, the abdomen, your hips. So the inguinals are in, let's say your hip crease behind your knees and then uh, behind your head and your occiput. So we want to be massaging that gently. So you can do that on a regular basis, but I definitely recommend it when you are sick. So like when my dad's talking about is, you know, you're drinking your water or whatever, or just when you're sick, it's your body saying, Hey, I need a pause. I need a break. Right. So take that opportunity to be like, Oh, I don't have time for this. We never have time. Like it's just your body's way of saying, I need a break. So let's take a minute to listen. Right. And so here you can do some gentle lymphatic stuff. And then vagus nerve exercises is a wonderful time to do this as well. So one of my favorites is humming or singing or whatever, or and while you're massaging your ears, uh, it's a fantastic way. I do something called the six healing sounds. I have a YouTube video on it. It's something that is, to me, is very powerful because sound is one of the, a fantastic way to heal the body. So there are the Taoist, I use the Taoist ones, but you could also do the chakra healing sounds like Lam, Ram, all those type of things. If you don't know that, again, I have some videos on YouTube, uh, unless dad, you want to go through them now, but uh, we don't want to make this too long, but that's definitely, those are some things that I would add into what my dad's saying with the nebulize, the castor oil. These are all wonderful things. Like I just finished nebulizing today and I feel so much better. Did the pressure, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is some compression. You could do some compression if you're, you know, if you're holding some inflammation in your lower body, you could do, you know, you take a scarf and what you do is you wrap uh, your foot or you wrap your ankle and hold that for about 15 seconds. So you don't need to pull it tight, but let go. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go up your leg. So then, you know, go the length of the scarf, hold that area, let it go. And then you're going to go a little bit higher and go all the way up to the inguinals, meaning up to your hip crease. That's a fantastic way to help move things along as well to help move your lymph. So that's all I wanted to add on to that. So that is definitely uh, lots of options, lots of uh, different types of things that uh, people can do. So don't worry about the fact if in fact the goal is that you will get sick. In fact, one of the biggest problems are when patients tell me they haven't been sick for 10 years, and that's usually not a good thing. I always dread hearing somebody tell me that because it's a sign that they've never tuned up their immune system. It's like never getting your car tuned up. And I'm wondering why you're, you're only getting one mile to the gallon for gas per se, because the engine isn't running properly. You want to keep tuning up your body on an ongoing basis. You need to be a little more diligent come now flu and illness uh, season per se. You know, this isn't a discussion about flu shots, but you need to make that decision with your physician, whether that's a viable option for you individually based on your other health problems, but truly believe that if you're doing 
even half the things we just talked about on this podcast, you would be doing, you would be creating more value, I believe, than the potential that a flu shot would potentially, but that's just, uh, you know, that's just an individual bias. And once again, there are people who that may be their only option. They may be living in assisted living, maybe your grandmother, she's not, she's not about to take, you know, a number of vitamins because for different reasons, she doesn't get out. She doesn't have the opportunity to move her body, et cetera. And that may be, you know, somewhat of a protection, but generally speaking for if we're out and about and, uh, you know, you know, having pretty decent health on an ongoing basis, these types of preventive things that we've mentioned, and then the acute things that if you do get sick, will get people absolutely through, you know, that type of thing. But always remember, don't think that you can keep doing what you normally do. If you get sick, it is the opportunity to slow down, take a break, put everything that you're doing on the back burner because it's really not that important because your health ultimately becomes number one. Well said, well said. I mean, I think that that really sums it up at the end of the day. Hopefully you found this helpful and thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support and we always look forward to connecting with all of you about sharing other information. So on the next episode, we're gonna be talking about uh, blood tests and cholesterol and should we, it's statin drugs, should we be taking them? Yes or no? And that sort of thing. So um, just because recently I got some blood tests and I want to, it's always interesting because I hear what my doctor's saying and then I'm like, dad, what do you say? So he's going to let it, he's going to give us some insights on the next episode. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you and we hope you have a beautiful day. We'll talk again. <laughs>